You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Welcome to another outrageous episode of Delirious Nomads brought to you by Metal Blade Records, Blacklight Media Records, hosted by myself and my partner here, Matt Bacon. We have a very special guest with us today. It's, they're always very special when they come from New York City and they're people that I run into at shows all the time. Uh, we have Chris Enriquez, who is known for many, 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 many things. Great drummer with over, what, two, three decades of... of of experience, a uh, drummer for the amazing band Spotlights, which we're going to talk about. He is the, uh, I, I think I'm getting this right here, the brand, what are you, the brand relationship manager for Revolver Magazine? You can interrupt me. That's a, that's a safe thing to say. That's okay. Yeah, okay. That's exactly what I am, so. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. He's been hosting a bunch of quarantine cats with St. Vitus Bar through this whole thing, which is really amazing. I uh, love that you're helping keep St. Vitus alive. Um, there's a million things I can list all everything, but we'll just get right into it. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we had to reschedule this last week because of something last minute on my end. I appreciate you being flexible. Of course. Um, so thanks. They, were, they were making the yard beautiful. So that's, yes, that's exactly. important. Very metal. <laughs> Very metal to have a beautiful yard. I know you know, Matt Bacon, my, uh, the metal raconteur or whatever we want to call him this week. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I was on his podcast as well. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. So let's get right into it. So what's happening right now? Now that now that things are starting to open up a tiny little bit here and there, what are you feeling? Well, I got my vac shot like two hours ago. Oh, nice. Congrats. I think it's important to note because these are going to be kind of rolling out steadily and surely, and we haven't been doing this, Matt, but I think it's important to note, maybe we'll start letting people know when this is re- being recorded. This is being recorded on March 16th. I also got my first vaccine shot two Saturdays ago. My wife got hers yesterday. So... Matt, have you gotten a vaccine shot? No, I'm like at the bottom of the list. So, <laughs> you know, under 30 doesn't need to go outside. <laughs> right. So what's what's happening? So let's start with, do you want to start with your band? Do you want to start with Revolver? Do you want to start with what's happening in Brooklyn? What, what do you, where do you want to start? Yeah, I could talk about all that stuff. You know, I'm busy with my job more than ever being my day job. And, uh, you know, I started out with Revolver only. And that evolves. And now Revolver is part of a company that owns, we just acquired um, Brooklyn Vegan in January. Last year, we acquired the Hard Times, the satire site, which is awesome. I'm sure everyone here follows it. It's just a bunch of hilarious memes and articles. It's like the onion for uh, for punk and, and metal and, and hardcore. And then we also acquired Inked Magazine, which I'm honestly like, 
the least active with only because music, uh, rock music, or I hate saying rock music because it's, you know, now extreme music is everything. But um, the music part of my job is really more active with the other brands. And, and, and so that's really what I've been doing all day long. And, um, you know, St. Vitus, I forgot to mention, we don't necessarily own St. Vitus, but we have a piece of St. Vitus that's part of our company now, and we handle all of their merchandising. So uh, everything I do now is merchandising. So if you go on the St. Vitus site, Brooklyn Vegan, Revolver, and The Hard Times, um, I spend my days stocking up their stores with records, merchandise, exclusive vinyl. And so that's kind of how I've been getting through the entire year and helping these brands survive, um, which has been really fun. Interestingly enough, I am going to be launching in June a, an online store that's going to be, uh, this is chrissantos.com, where you can get anything from Blacklight Media merch to like my hot sauces and, you know, and, the, and their shirts to my cookbook to my home fitness boxing pro- product. And um, Matt's helping me with it. Uh, and, and, but we are, but we could use somebody with some merchandising experience. So I'm being, I'm being totally legit serious. If you can take on another small project and help us get launched. We should absolutely talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt, we'll, we'll get some emails going about this after the pod. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. You've got to be like top. We, we email a lot. I was thinking about this the other day. It's good. Yeah. I'm emailing all day long. I was, I was emailing about work and on calls right up until we started this. And I know Chris, you're even busier than I am. So I'm not even going to yeah. claim being busy. <laughs> Cause Chris, you get like 300 emails a day. You told me. I get between 250 and 300 a day and it's gotten worse since it's the same. It's the same amount of emails, but since I moved to Los Angeles, because I wake up, you know, let's say I wake up at nine. I'm not a super early riser, but I'm usually up by nine. But that's noon in New York, so I'm so hundred. So I'm waking up to 140, 160 emails, and it's like, you know, a lot of them are just reports and stuff that I can just kind of glance, you know, pass my eyes over. But a lot of the stuff needs responses, and because I, I mean, this podcast's not about me, but yeah, I got a lot going on, and so God, emails just bog me down, man. I need. Yeah, man, I, 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 I feel you, and I, and I, I know uh, we don't want to get off on tangent, but I'm so impressed by your ability to get back to people, and that's all I wanted to say because you're yeah. really good about that. Yeah, I, it's either that or be buried, and I'm already buried everywhere else. So you know what I mean. Absolutely. As of today, March 16th, venues can reopen at what 33%. Is Vitus going to be? Is that Vitus part of that or no? I mean, that's what they say. I wouldn't be qualified to answer that because that's kind of falling more on the uh, on the on the shoulders of our mutual friend, uh, you know, Dave Castillo, who's in charge of booking. So I've, what I've been doing for them is basically the company that I work for is. Uh, really pushed their brand in terms of like the amazing apparel and stuff that they've been selling that has been kind of keeping them alive. And then in addition to that, uh, I host the Age of Quarantine web series on their Instagram channel, which has kept eyes uh, on the brand. So, you know, I feel bad when I see venues going down. We all know each other because of live music, but we've done that show. We're about to reach our one year anniversary on Friday, and it was a way for us to stay engaged with the audience because they can't physically be there. So at least we can have bands uh, almost every night. Uh, it went from five nights a week to three nights a week uh, where we, like, like you said in your intro, we've had anthrax. Uh, I think some of the other guests you mentioned we've had on the show. So, um, you know, we're, we've just been trying to get as creative as possible. And it's been honestly fun during a time period that has not been as fun for most of us. You know? How crazy has it been a year? I know. 
It's absolutely insane. I can't believe it. There's been some crazy stuff that's gone down to make some of those interviews happen, though, right? You were telling me some story about someone who had, like, never had Wi-Fi before or something? Oh, yeah. Vinny Stigma from Agnostic Front never had Wi-Fi in his entire life. (laughs) We had to get um, a uh, local, like, punk dude who I've seen... Like Chris, you, you, you may, might even know this guy, Sid the Kid. He's like a he's an old school punk rocker from the Lower East Side. He's been around forever. I've seen him for like thirty years, and um, he had to go to his house and like hook him up on a on a hotspot, and it was like a whole ordeal <laughs> to get Vinny wow. Stigma on the show. So so yeah, Matt, that that's that's definitely happened because I had um, HR from Bad Brains was on the show, and I don't want to talk shit on my favorite singer of all time, but I could tell his wife was definitely next to him off camera trying to sort of help guide him through this entire episode that's awesome though (laughs) like that's awesome that people want to like make it happen definitely definitely yeah i i I just can't believe some of these guys are now it makes me feel old so you kind (laughs) of have a little bit of a background in journalism how does it feel doing like live stream interviews as opposed to kind of traditional like we sit in a room and we do an interview and then i edit it later you guys can both probably relate to this but uh, i will say because of being a business guy by uh, during the daytime uh, talking to people all day long has helped me on camera and, and vice versa. So it helps me become self-aware and how to get my ideas across and translate them in a way that I feel very natural with. I don't know if, if you guys feel the same way, but both of you are the same. So, you know. Interesting. So talk. let's talk about music. Well, before we get to even spotlights, is what's are you still active with David and Primitive Weapons? Primitive Weapons is an interesting band. We were doing a lot of cool shit, but I'll be honest with you. We took a hiatus um, just because I feel like we didn't feel like the band was 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 going anywhere in terms of, I'm just going to say, like it, we weren't catching on on like the... Uh, we were a band's band, so we would get on, we would go, we would get on sick tours all the time. Uh, Dillinger Escape Plan, Mutoid Man, um, into another Taking Back Sunday, Circus Survive. Like we were, fr- I think it's because we're friends with a lot of these people. Not to downplay our music, I love our music, but it was just we were doing it for a while, and I don't think that we felt like it was really catching on in terms of like. Uh, are we going to be a headlining band ever, or are we just going to constantly open up for our friends? And, you know, I can only speak for myself, but at, at some point we just decided, you know, Spotlights is doing really well for me. Um, David is is transitioned into being a DJ, and that's really what he wants to be doing right now is confines, which is great. So uh, it just felt like the right time to kind of let it kind of sit on the side for a while. And who knows, maybe we'll revisit it. It's so funny because the first time I ever saw Primitive Weapons, I didn't really put two and two together and I was with Jeff Blanchard from Lucky 13 and I don't remember even where we saw you guys but oh I remember because we it was at Arlene's Grocery maybe yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah yeah and I remember just being like wait a second is that David Castillo and Jeff was like yeah <laughs> obviously I was like I didn't know and that's always that's always my favorite thing when you go to see a band that you're excited about and then you're like I know everyone in this band <laughs> yeah right 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 especially when they're people that you're used to seeing as spectators or at like as like business people and you're like wait that guy's on stage right now it's like yeah, so right. weird <laughs> i remember amazing though amazing um so well so i'm sad that you're that, but but, I'm, but i'll be hopeful that you guys come back at some point um i want to know so spotlights i'm you know i love i love the record um but i've never seen you guys um you were you did that correct me if i'm wrong you did the show with De- deftones at coney island right I joined the band when they got the Deftones tour, but they were transitioning between drummers. So 
Okay. They played they played Coney Island without me, but I was there. And then midway through the Deftones Refuse tour was my first show with the band, which was in like New Jersey, um, which is crazy. That was actually my first show with them. I never played like St. Vitus or anything before that day. So it was like, okay. That's a trial by fire. Because um, we came in, it was it was Jeff again and John Lamacchia, and we came in and could hear you guys. But by the time we got through security and weaved through everything, uh, well, I guess you weren't playing with the band at the time. But by the time we actually got to, you know, a sightline, it was the, the last song was over, and it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's one of those. Th- I always say, tell people now that we experienced what it's like being on a tour like that, you should just play your best song last because. Most people are just going to show up during those last two songs, you know. <laughs> Ipecac. I'm just curious about that. But Ben being assigned to you guys being signed to Ipecac, being such a huge, huge Mike Patton fan that I am. Do you know how that came to be? Yeah, all of this is connected, which is really interesting, um, and it's a testament to the community that we are all part of. Which is that organically, uh, um, basically, if you guys remember ISIS, the band. I always got to say the band after that because of the content. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Isis, the band who were on also on Ipecac and did a lot of uh, touring with like the Melvins and people within the Ipecac family. The drummer for Isis was Abe Cunningham of Deftones Drum Tech. One, one night uh, on tour, he had played Spotlights for Chino Moreno and Chino loved what he had heard. And um, that's how we got on the tour. And then... Uh, it was also through Aaron that uh, the music got into Mike Patton's business partner, Greg, who really runs the label. He got to him uh, shortly after that, and he played it for Mike, got his sign off on it, and then that's how that happened. Oh, that's just very cool. Very, very cool. I mean, I can tell you all day long how much I love Spotlights, but if you got the Mike Patton stamp of approval. That's pretty fucking dope. Oh my God. Yeah, I fucking... I remember the first time I saw Faith No More on uh, Rio de Janeiro on MTV, the Rock in Rio, and I just fucking jaw dropped on the floor. <laughs> so when I was, um, so I worked at a club in Rhode Island called Club Babyhead, um, and it was uh, I worked there from '89 to '93 when I was in culinary school. So I worked there from the ages of like 18 to 21, and um, and I also worked at Lupo's uh, Heartbreak Hotel, which is a bigger venue. And the real thing came out, and I was. I just remember playing over the um, PA in between bands. And I was just like, never before or since like at a show was I just so tuned, like tuned into the speaker. And I was like, what the fuck is this? What is this? I mean, it was such a, such a, such a unique sounding record at the time. And it still holds up. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I I, I feel like you and I, and Matt, I don't know if you're also a fan, but I know you're a little yeah. bit younger and not to call you out on that, but like a lot of bands since then took from that sound, but when it was brand new and something you'd never heard combined, it was just something else. What's interesting with Faith No More is like the literacy and a variety of genres that they have, right? Where it's like, you know, like it's kind of to- like Mr. Bungle is kind of the more extreme version of that. But like this idea of like, look, we can have like a pop rock song that has like obvious death metal influences is right. like insane to think about. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's normal now you can hear it in uh, everyone from, you know, Slipknot to bring me to the horizon and Deftones, you know, their, 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 their influence has spanned everywhere, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was, to me, that was a big deal, Chris. I mean, like I, I idolized the guy, huge fan and, and the, the few times I got to meet him, 
I, I just t- turned into like a 12 year old kid. Yeah. <laughs> just like, holy shit. Trying to contain myself. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm an adult now. I need to like, you know, take it down a notch. <laughs> I'm going to be 50 in, in two weeks or not even now a week and a half. Fuck me. I'm going to wow. be 50. But um, he is one of the few of my heroes that I've yet to meet. And I definitely know that I'll turn into like a child. Like a fourteen-year-old, and we got to get him at the restaurant. At yeah, I'm working on it, Chris. We, yeah. ha- I have the hookup. Okay, right. <laughs> I, like it. I, like it. I like it. So what's so what is happening with spotlights now that it's been a year of pandemic, and now we're starting to starting to see like a little light at the end of the tunnel. Are you guys? What's are you guys? What's the? Is there a plan? Well, I mean, I, we were supposed to go on tour. So the, the the shitty thing was we were actually supposed to go on tour with Faith No More in August. And it was us, and it was our first arena tour <laughs> opening up for Faith No More and Corn, and then it got. Canceled. Oh, I saw that. Yes, right. Yeah, I saw so that, that right. Kind of tie it all together. I don't know if I. I don't know if that's happening still. We want to at least think that maybe a Faith No More thing would be happening because we're on, um, you know, their label. But um, so so that's just something um, that that we're kind of crossing our fingers. And then we had a European tour booked for this October that was just canceled on us. So we have some stuff in the works that uh, eventually we'll be talking about that involves, um, you know, live streaming and performances and stuff like that, which is probably not a surprise since a lot of people are doing it. But uh, really, I think we're just crossing our fingers that that tour happens and, and, and that we can get back on the road. We still haven't toured the last release. So there's work to be done. As soon as the world opens up, we're just waiting. And then on that note, um, have you, you sound like you've been pretty busy, but have you guys worked on anything new during this pandemic or not really? Not really. I mean, we had, uh, there was an EP that came out last year during the pandemic. And so, you know, any like live streaming performances would be the newer material, but they're getting vaxxed tomorrow. So there's a possibility that we may just start using this time. But uh, yeah, at the moment there's, nothing uh really oh we did do a bunch of new we did cover songs that were a lot of fun that we posted on our band camp if anyone hasn't checked that out we did like the pixies uh radiohead um you know our own versions of stuff so it was a lot of fun i thought that pixies cover was really creative i really enjoyed that oh thanks man yeah huge pixies fan also uh you know Filipino representing in the Pixies. So I, I, they have my uh, <laughs> extra, uh, I'm an extra big fan for that reason. I just remember being 15 and being like, oh, this is just like better Weezer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Chris, were you, uh, were you, when you were a metalhead growing up, did you also appreciate stuff like the Pixies and stuff that was outside of that? Were you kind of mostly... No, yeah, no. I mean, so I, I'm, I'm the oldest here, right? How old are you, Chris? I just turned forty. Yeah, so I'm way older, and Matt's like fourteen. So, um, <laughs> I could, I'm, half I, your, I'm almost half your age, Chris. Okay, shut up. <laughs> I grew up right smack dab. I was a teenager, right smack dab in the middle of the '80s. So that was right when Slayer was was was, com- was coming out, and and you know the big four, and but also it was also the height of hair metal and stuff. So I kind of liked it all, but I also loved stuff like the Pixies, the Cure. That's awesome. I kind of figured because your your taste today with Blacklight is extremely eclectic. So I figured. Yeah, and it's getting more. I mean, we've we've signed some bands that we haven't announced yet, and the, the label is getting even more and more. Like it's interesting. It's like the the label is a tree, and the branches that are coming off it are all very different, which I'm kind of excited about. But um, but again, this is not about me today. It's about you. So uh, so what, what what are some of your 
drumming influences? Like what got you into drumming in the first place? And what were some of your early influences? I think my assistant Amy dug up something that you have, you know, you, you, you had some glam metal influences. Probably. Oh, totally. Yeah. I can relate to what you just said. Cause I, I, I got into metal through MTV because that was normal as you know, you know, in the, in the eighties, uh, I get, I was really young, but I, I, I was watching MTV and my parents didn't really censor what I was putting on. So I put on Headbangers Ball when I was in like single digits. I don't know why I liked that. It was something probably because I grew up in a really straight laced town uh, called Manhasset in Long Island, where it was like everybody was like kind of like a country club kind of guy. And I just so I just wasn't part of that club. So I, I, I deferred to like the darker sort of stuff. So when I saw uh, Guns N' Roses and Metallica and, um, you know, Skid Row. Those are the bands that I really remember seeing maybe in like 87, 88. I was seeing this stuff on MTV. I immediately gravitated towards it. And there was something about watching drummers in music videos, like, like, uh, cause it was like, welcome to the jungle. You could see Stephen Adler playing, like they were playing a show at like the Troubadour or something. There's something about what, what drummers were doing in music videos that like, I don't know if you could say that this is this case for cooking for you, but like it made sense. I was like, that's what he's doing. And that's why that sound is coming out of the speakers. Right, like, right, right, right. Doing. But when Slash and like, you know, fucking Izzy were doing shit, I, I, I didn't necessarily make that connection. So it was just something natural about watching drummers. And then when I finally sat down um, and played a kit, I, I played a beat just like the one I saw on, you know, the Welcome to the Jungle video <laughs> just made sense to me. How old were you when you first sat down behind a kid? I was, I think I want to say I was nine. Okay. Uh, it was, I was nine. I tried playing guitar and all that, and I figured out how to play power chords. Uh, it was like one guitar lesson. It was a very similar story to like a lot of other people. Like a, it was like a hair metal guy that sold me a guitar at Sam Ash, came over to my house, and he was like, what do you want to learn, Ken? He taught me Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. Um, <laughs> but like, I just... I couldn't shred, so it felt like I hit a wall pretty quickly. I could play power chords. And the drumming thing, I was like, I can do that. I know I can. And then I just kept playing by myself um, and, and playing along to Appetite and, and Justice for All eventually. And, um, and, 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 and then I kind of got my wings from there. Nice. Yeah, I, can't, I have a beautiful guitar right here. Um, it's, a, it's a Zach Myers SC. And um, every time I try to play Iron Man on it, I think my neighbors think that like my 10 or 11-year-old nephew is over because... <laughs> That's about as good as I can play Iron Man. I did buy the new Roland's TD50. I see that. Which uh, I've been using to my advantage during this uh, pandemic while we weren't so busy. You know, I'm still mediocre at best, but it was fun to, I had stopped playing for years and years and years, and it was fun to, to kind of get behind there again this year. I can't imagine what you must um, be thinking, even just on the outside chance that you get to go on an arena tour and do your thing. Right. I mean, I don't see. It's funny because the music that I've chosen to play in bands, I, I feel is couldn't be further from arena rock music. It's just not, uh, you know, there's nothing about spotlights or primitive weapons that sounds like, uh, for example, Bring Me the Horizon is a total arena rock band yeah, sure. in 2021. That's that's what a rock band sounds like. Right. But um, at the same token, even though I don't create or spend my time with that in mind, just to just have that chance. I mean, uh, you know, who wouldn't want to do that? So especially growing up watching bands like Guns N' Roses and Metallica, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, knock on wood. I hope, I hope, I hope that tour happens. So we'll see. <laughs> when you, when you have that opportunity to play an arena tour and, and you were probably, it was probably canceled pretty far out, but 
Are there conversations within the band in terms of like how you want to adjust the set list or adjust how you perform the songs to kind of adapt to that larger space? We, because we did tours like that, where you have to like, it's, you know, we've all seen the opening band where they have to play in front of the other band's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, there's like two drums. Yeah. Like when we played with Deftones, the refused drum set was behind me. And then behind that was the, uh, so I was like pretty much like almost up next to the security guard where I was <laughs> sure. So, you know, we, we developed our own um, little stage. I don't want to call it a stage show, but like we purchased cool lights and things to put up there to make it a little more interesting and appealing to watch. And, um, and we realized in making the set that we were going to play, we considered things like, oh, the last song or two is really when the most people are going to come see us. Um, and we got to keep, we got to keep the energy up because you're playing outside our kind of music outside at seven o'clock in the evening. It's not really meant for that. So you got to keep the energy up. Otherwise you just lose everybody, you know? So it's interesting. I think about that you, just because of that Deftones term, like this is the time that the guy comes in with his kids and they're buying, you know, hot dogs at the, the hot dog stand. <laughs> it's not like playing at St. Vitus and you have like all these challenges to think about. Right. <laughs> It's funny. I, I never really thought of it like that way, but that is that is true. And it's such a different sound, right? Like when you're playing, you know, a big arena or even an outside amphitheater than than playing a club. Like just managing that. It's it's always been kind of fascinating to me how bands can kind of um, adjust as they go, especially if a tour has kind of a mix of those things. Definitely. I mean, like Perfect Circle, I think, is a great example. I watched them play. Uh, a Danny Wimmer festival outside and they were fantastic, but there was also something awkward about that band's sound at like, you know, whatever time it was with the sun, you know, blaring. Um, that's like a nighttime band. So I feel like those challenges can kind of, uh, you can get good at those challenges uh, and, and welcome them and be like, okay, well, I guess we have to adjust what we're going to do without totally compromising ourselves. You know, maybe we open with this song or, you know, maybe this is what the stage looks like, you know? I mean, not that I ever want to say anything bad about this guy because God, why would I? But Chris Cornell is one of obviously a legend and one of my favorite vocalists. And I was a huge Soundgarden fan, especially early Soundgarden. So I saw them so many times. I mean, I saw them opening for Voivod. If you think about that, how crazy is that? But, um, but I always felt like they sounded amazing in clubs. Chris sounded amazing in clubs. But then on those big festivals or Lollapalooza, I don't know. It's like, what's going on? His, his voice doesn't sound as, I don't know, it lost some of that soul or something. But in a club, it was like goosebumps. And then out in these big festivals, it was like, come on, what's going on with the sound? I don't get it. Right, right, right. I could imagine. You can only imagine. Part of it is like the reverberation. Right. And then like, depending on how you like project your voice, there's this David Barron book, um, How Music Works. And he talks about how like part of why Metallica slows down on the Black Album is suddenly, you know, a doof doof. That you need that kind of beat if you want per people, you know, 600 yeah. yards away to hear it. Because like if you've ever seen a death metal band play to like 80,000 people at a festival, like it just doesn't work because the people it's just too much noise and the way sound moves. It just doesn't work. It's a fascinating thing to think about. Right. Because even if you think about uh, one of the best shows I ever saw was Sigur Ross opening up for Bjork, which is not, you could think about that band, depending on who you're talking to, as like a snooze fest or something quite beautiful. But the atmosphere of hearing the water at the Coney Island, uh, you know, on the beach 
and yeah. just as cheesy, but the stars in the sky, like everything added to that moment. Um, I, I know a few people like already at St. Vitus who got to see that Voivod tour that you're talking about in a club. And um, and he actually, I think, said that's why I won't see Soundgarden at like when, you know, whatever, where, Jones Beach. I'm not going to go see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, there, there is something magical. Like, have you ever, I don't know if you guys have ever been to or seen a show at the Hollywood Bowl. No. But there's, there's, I mean, there's just something magical about it. At the first, it's an amphitheater, it's outdoors, but the way it's built, it, it, like the, the, the sound is, it stays in, right? But you are under the stars and it's just like this unbelievable experience. Anyway, so what's next for you? I mean, we don't want to keep you all night. We're, you know, um, oh. what's next for you? Uh, what does the rest of 2021 bring? Um, and then maybe even 2022. Well, um, you know, I want to give a plug because I am managing uh, a couple bands that have records coming out. So I started Power Child Management, which I had helped uh, a few bands get signed indirectly uh, because of my job. You know how it goes. You mentioned one band. So I could be talking to you, Chris or Matt, and then someone takes a liking to it. So y you had uh, John Lamacchia uh, form, uh, for, of Candiria. I shouldn't say formally. I think they're just inactive right now. I'm managing him. Uh, he's got a cool project called Spilacopa that's uh, almost like a, a, right now his stuff I feel is very Depeche Mode meets uh, Massive Attack. It's not exactly Kanzeria-ish, but it's a nice variety. So he has a record coming out on Aqualam Records this year that he's working on. And then um, Som Nuri is a band. They're a crazy death uh, metal, sludge metal, doom metal, like hybrid, right? And uh, a really cool band from Brooklyn. And they have a record coming out on Blues Funeral Recordings. So those are two artists that I'm working with. And aside from that, um, I am going to be uh, uh, just constantly uh, working on new releases with record labels for, um, for, for the... Uh, for the brands that I'm working with. That's really kind of my main prerogative at the moment. As a guy who's on the other side of it sometimes, what do you think, what's the most important job of, of, of a manager? Well, I mean, there's the, 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 uh, the, the, the same thing that goes into managing any business, right? Uh, which is to take as much off of a band uh, as you can so they can focus on doing what they do best, right? You don't want to interrupt that. It's a, it's a huge bummer when a band being on both sides when you have to think about business stuff and you're, you're a great guitar player and, and that's really your craft. So uh, by, by, by managing a band for me, I'm taking what I know on the label side, on the marketing side and on the media side, and then looking at a band and being like, I love this band, they should be bigger. And I am volunteering my time to say, let me, let me I believe that I can do something to help you while you focus on your art. And your craft and maybe in the process help you make good decisions uh, that may not come natural to you um, like where you should premiere a certain song that sounds this way maybe it's better on decibel maybe it's better on brooklyn vegan you know you might have two different types of uh, uh, songs uh, that you want to release videos for um, you know it goes beyond that but just little things like that i don't think musicians are meant to always you know did jimmy was jimmy hendrix a marketing genius i don't know maybe he was um, you know, so he, he probably had a manager help him through that. So that's kind of what I feel a, ma a good manager fundamentally should be adding, you know? Yep. 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 Your involvement with Revolver, I guess, is not necessarily about the content, but do you, like what direction, like I have the last Revolver, uh, right over here with Poppy yeah. on the cover. Um, like what's the general direction of Revolver these days and, and, and has it changed at all because of the pandemic or just in general, the, the, the way music, the way the music scene is? 
changed a lot because of how the music scene is. And I think the pandemic has helped us uh, in a weird way in the sense where I think people are buying more stuff uh, right now. I can say that I've bought more records in 2020 than I have before. And I, 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 I don't know if it's because I have more time on my hands and I'm sitting around or what that is, but I, I feel like the, the fact that I can see it at my day job that people are buying stuff is proof, right? So we're, um, we, right now Revolver is, is two things. We're a place that you can read about uh, new up and coming bands or bands that you love, uh, you know, legacy bands, you know, from Judas Priest to Anthrax to Deftones and everyone in between. But it's also a place that you can go and actually pick up these records now and be like, I love Poppy. I want to buy this record. And it's available right there on our store. Um, so on that, on that, and that's kind of what all of the brands I'm working with are now. We've developed it into this new business model. And um, a magazine, which prints can be really tough, what we're doing, our next issue, I don't know when this airs, but our next issue has four different front cover artists of the same issue. I'll just say, it's, you know, I don't, I don't know when this is going to come out, but like one is a older band, one is a female fronted uh, new metal band from, from, the, from the early 2000s. And the other is um, is a newer uh, band that's pretty big with the younger folks. So we try to mix things up so that if you're into uh, buying one cover, that you're still going to get the same content, discover stuff. That's how we kind of like to do it now. That's actually the most incredible segue into what my next question was going to be, which was going to be, tell me or tell us your favorite band from like, you know, the 80s, 90s when you discovered metal your favorite band kind of from sort of the mid 2000s and your favorite new metal band. We're keeping it in metal. Okay. So we'll keep it in metal eighties, nineties metal band. I'm going to have to say faith no more. They kind of like tie it all together for me and they never put out a bad record. So never give that one to faith no more. Um, a two thousands band. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to actually say, I'm going to say Glassjaw. I really like Glassjaw. I feel like they didn't get as big as they should have. And they think they're really innovative and they're uh, just a very unique band. And then uh, as far as a newer band who is metal that I think is probably doing the coolest shit, and they're not necessarily newer, but they represent today. I'm going to say Gojira. Yes. Good call. Yeah. I'm going to say Gojira. I mean, I don't, part of me wants to say Mastodon, but I, I, I'm going to say Gojira because they're both great bands. But Gojira has totally fucking taken the genre into a new place where I think everybody can appreciate it. You know what I mean? They're really something, man. They're really something. Yeah. So I'm going to comment on all three of those. So Faith No More is a great pick. One of my all-time favorite bands of all time as, um, as well. But I just read somewhere, and you might be able to tell me where I read it because I don't remember where I read it. But I read that they, they – you're right. They never made a bad record. But I read somewhere re just recently – that they were saying that the King for a Day record was a nightmare for them and that they were, nobody's happy with it. Like, looking oh, back. Oh, wow. That's I interesting. I mean, I, they had a lot of changes in lineup. And, I, you know, they had the guy Jim Martin, who was iconic. He was in Bill and Ted's, uh, you know. Uh, yep. And when they got rid of him, they had, I believe, King for a Day, if I'm not mistaken, was Trey from uh, Mr. Bungle, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right. I think he did a good job, but I think – you know, and I'm not, I, it feels weird because I'm on his label. So I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I, I, as a fan, it seemed like they struggled to, to find that because it was always a different person. Yeah. So, so maybe that's what was going on, but I thought it was a great record. Um, Glassjaw totally agree. They were before their time. 
Um, their shows were crazy. And you almost played with them, maybe. Is that right? Yeah, we, well, we toured with Spotlights, toured with them, and I tried out for Glassjaw twice, uh, which uh, didn't work out well for me because they're, they're so fucking good that every time I showed up, I just never was good enough for them. <laughs> um, and it's fine because all the players they got were, were, were uh, light years ahead of where I'll ever be. But um, yeah, I love Glassjaw, man. I, I knew them when I was in high school and in college, and, uh, and then they were one of the first bands to sign to Roadrunner um you know and take that plunge and and they really should have gotten bigger but uh who knows the world works in mysterious ways yeah <laughs> no doubt and then Gujira, we already spoke of i mean matt i never actually asked you that question you might as well you might as well answer it too like the 80s and 90s you don't have to answer because you weren't there but the <laughs> earth- <laughs> i was there for part of the 90s man. but i mean but i mean in terms of like the early you know the earliest band that blew your mind and then a band from like you know the mid 2000s and then your new favorite band right now so like an early band that blew my mind is like like slayer i was hanging out with uh trevor from black dahlia the other day and we're like such fucking dorks together (laughs) and and like it's really bad because we like egg each other on with like meaningless facts that we just know and like i remember listening to rain and blood with him and just like air drumming every single line and just like Every time I listen to that record, I'm like, how is it that every riff is like incredibly sick? So I think like in terms of like 80s, 90s, like you can't really go further than Slayer, you know? And then for like- They never put out a bad record either, so no. Yeah. And then like 2000s, there was this band, Sub Rosa. I just dropped an article on Invisible Oranges about them today. And I was like the biggest Sub Rosa fan in the world as acknowledged by the band. And I'm like in a book club with the singer now, like <laughs> after they're broken up and like- got the drummer into his new band who are going to be my modern band. So like that was a band that they were like the first band where it was like, I think between 2014 and when, when did they break up? Like 2017, I saw them like 20 times in like five different countries. Oh, wow. Like I was like signed up. <laughs> I got to perform with them at Roadburn. Like that was insane. So then, so like Sub Rosa and then like modern bands would be this band Insect Arc which I think you know, Chris. It's a really good band. So Dana has been like one of my, she like met me when I was like 19 and was like, and she was like an adult and I was like, okay, like we can hang out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then like she and I have had this like really amazing close friendship. Uh, and then I ended up getting her drummer, Andy Patterson, who was in that band Inside Out in the 90s with Zach De La Rocha. Zach De La Rocha, yeah. yeah. But I knew him from Sabrosa. He was also in Shelter. I'm a big fan of all all those bands that you're mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. So like Andy was. So I was able to get him into. So that's sort of like how I kind of interact with that. And I think that band is also a band where like I saw them playing in front of like 15, 20 people. You know, when it was just like Dana and her fucking effects board and bass, and then now she's in Swans, which is like insane wow. because that was a band that like broke my head when I was 14. I was like, music can sound like it has warts. <laughs> you know? That's so cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, I think Insect Arc is like, I just finished helping them with, uh, they did like a documentary about the new record. But yeah, that's a band that I've been like really into for a lot, for a while. And so to kind of see them now on like Profound War and doing, you know, going yeah. on tour with around Sea Pazuzu and like, getting to do all the things is like really just validating and like a good feeling in my heart. Do do you know what I mean? 
I got I to check out. I, I'm going to go back and listen to their old band after this. That's cool. I'm glad you said that. Well, only Andy was in Sub Rosa, and he's really like the. He's just like like he contributes, but it, like it's Dana's project. Right, 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 right. That's no, cool. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I feel like well, what's your '80s, '90s, and and today? And today? Yeah, I want to hear Chris's. Oh shit, '80s is definitely Merciful Fate. But I mean, obviously Slayer and Metallica are right there, and even like Motley Crue. Like I like the, to this day, the first Motley Crue record, um, not not Shout at the Devil, but um, Too Fast for Love, is fucking great. Fucking man. evil that's a record. That's a that's a punk rock record, man. Um, but I would have to go with Merciful Fate because they that really was what really like grabbed me and pulled me into the metal world. Um, Mid 2000s would be Deftones because they're one of my favorite bands of all time. So I'll put them in that period. And I believe I didn't say that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, newer bands, I mean, Gojira would be would be would definitely be there. Um, but there's a couple of others, man. There's this band Numenorion that I just that sounds actually like to me they're like the first band I've listened to that are Gojira influenced in some way. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a band called Carbomb yeah. that's influenced by Gojira. Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah, really I, know, I, I know Carbomb. The drummer's yeah. sick, actually. Unreal. Um, but yeah, I guess I would go with Gojira as well for my newer band, uh, for, for a big band, but I also like Brutus or Rivers oh, of Nile. Yeah. So good. Uh, um, you know, um, I'm really into that whole kind of Code Orange, Knock Loose, Cursed Earth kind of yeah, metal yeah. hardcore shit that's happening harm's way like i love all that shit oh dude you're fucking you got your ear to the ground man i love that about you because you you i i really like how you grew up on all the stuff that you just uh talked about um and that you literally are just like so into everything i mean you just talked about brutus in the same breath that you just talked about like uh, a knock loose in harm's way. So yeah. it's, you're in the first Motley Crue record, right? Yeah, yeah. You didn't turn into like a guy that like completely got out of touch. Like you know about everything that's going on. Yeah, no, thanks, man. When the world comes back to normal, what's the club show you want to go see? What's the small band you want to see at St. Vitus? And what's the, what's the arena show you want to see? Jesus Christ. Okay, the arena show is easy for me because I uh, there was supposed to be a Deftones uh, Run the Jewels tour. And I would love to be at that. So, so that's an easy one for me to answer right there. The small club show is very hard for me to answer. I, I, I really don't even know the answer to that. But I would love it to be at St. Vitus. Uh, and that's not because I am associated with them. But it was just home. Uh, it, it would make me feel like the world is back and in a better place again. I want to be at St. Vitus. And I, you know what? I, I, for some reason, I, I, I think of, when I think of St. Vitus, I think about bands like Torch, even though they're not from here because I've seen them there so many times. If I could see Torch at St. Vitus, that would be my club show. I don't know who would be opening, but as long as they were playing. Gozu would be opening. That's yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the real right, we got to up. So where do people find uh, information on Spotlights? Uh, anything you want to throw out for Revolver and obviously you yourself? Yeah, absolutely. You could follow me at Chris Enriquez Drums. That's my handle on Instagram, and I post about everything there. There's a link tree to all the stuff that I'm uh, doing. Um, and um, there's revolvermag.com is, is where everyone should go to uh, to see what we're up to there. And then, um, uh, yeah, I, I Spotlights Music, at Spotlights Music, uh, to, to check out what the band is up to. And um, you know, everything else that I just talked about, managing bands and all this stuff, I you can follow me and all the info is on there. So, right. um, 
Yeah, I really appreciate this, guys. I I, I know awesome. both of you guys are really busy people, and and I and I respect both of you guys a lot. I mean, yes, so. but we but listen, man, I really appreciate your time. We are being very strategic about who our early guests are. Um, we're trying to grab some heavy hitters, and you are in my mind um, as a heavy hitter as any any musician we've grabbed or whatever. Um, I love I love uh, how immersed you are. You're you are. You are the fabric now of New York City rock and roll, and um, wow, thank you. that's it. It's and it, it's true. I mean, you are. You are. David is. You know. Um, you know. And I just Matt, you are too. You are as well when you're not in France. But for real, you definitely are. I always, I always see you and and, and Castillo and, and Jeff Blanchard and and all, you are the guys keeping it alive. And so I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. This culture has uh, changed our lives, so it needs to be held up. Otherwise, it falls. So. It needs people to uh, to do that. So that means a lot to hear that from you. Thank you. And Matt, you are totally that guy because you're it's far too kind. You're a young man. Yes. <laughs> to the future. <laughs> I don't know. I just wanna just wanna keep putting out records, okay? I feel you. I feel you. All right, we gotta wrap it up. Take care, Chris. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. This has been another uh, amazing episode. Um, depending on your uh, what you what you think is amazing. When I'm talking, it's amazing. When Matt's talking, it's a little darky, but that's okay. <laughs> I make I make I make I make a point to make fun of them at least once every episode and I almost I almost forgot to do that. I know. I almost got out of this one with a good self-esteem. I mean you started the episode by saying I looked weird without a hat on, so I had to get you back. <laughs> well, to be fair, you also like generally look weird. So <laughs> that's true. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. Take care, guys. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.